Hey, it's John from CityCast. If you're in the mood to pamper yourself a little bit this week while supporting cruelty-free products, you should check out Bone Cur Home and Wellness. It's the best place in Portland to find everything from chic home decor to cannabis accessories. They've got a curated collection of vegan and cruelty-free home goods and wellness products because their name is French for kind heart, after all. You'll get a 20% discount on your first order when you sign up for emails this week at boncoeur.net. That's B-O-N-C-O-E-U-R.net. And use the code BONECURCITYCAST20. Today on CityCast Portland, we're rounding up some arts and culture news and events. Joining us on the show is the arts and culture editor at the Portland Mercury, Suzette Smith. And as always, our very own lead producer, John Itariani. It's Friday, March 2nd. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. Well, welcome to our Friday news roundup, everyone. Uh, I want to start us off by asking a soul revealing question oh no uh, just just so listeners know uh who they're dealing with here <laughs> uh is everyone game let's do it sure would you rather eat at javier's every day for the next 10 years or have to sing in its entirety amazing grace at the alibi for the next 10 years amazing grace is a lovely song it's a long song do you know how competitive it is to get a spot at the alibi and then you're going to waste your spot by singing Amazing Grace every day? But then you get, so there's but, that. are you like a shoe in or do you have to wait the like hour and you a half? You have to wait. Oh. It's the alibi. No one's going to hold a slot for Amazing so Grace. So you're asking me if I would rather eat the worst tacos in Portland or like hang out at the alibi every day? Absolutely alibi. Yeah. I don't think the food at Javier's is that bad. I would not call it the worst tacos in Portland. I think there's worse. Also, the the best thing about Javier's is it's 24 hours. Yeah, so you could go whenever. Yeah, uh, if you're a procrastinator. Mm -hmm. I guess if you had to eat there every day, you would figure out the hot things on the menu. You would figure out like what their sleepers are. So Yeah, and I didn't say a full meal. You could have been like, I'll have a fry. No, I'm, I'm happy to hang out at the Alibi. I'll see you there. I think you just love singing. I just love the Alibi. <laughs> I love that John's the only one who's just like really happy singing every day. <laughs> Singing an awkward, awkwardly long non-party song every day at the alibi. You could do a lot of stuff with it. It'll like become a thing. People will love it. You think, oh yeah, people will just be like, it's happening. Yeah. yeah. John's gonna like, sing the amazing that, grace. You think guy. by the end by the end of 10 years, you're gonna be like the Unipiper. I think by the end of 10 years, there's gonna be a Portland Mercury article about me. <laughs> well, we got the right, <laughs> we got the right writer right here. Okay. So I think this is I think this is actually gonna be our first arts and culture news roundup. Um, and I'm all for it. And I cannot think of a better reporter to like christen this experience than you, Suzette. You recently wrote a spring arts preview, which I think might be one of the boldest pieces of journalism out right now, because as you wrote, uh, despite reports of our city's destruction, you know, there are some pretty great stuff happening in town and hooray, hooray for arts and culture. Hooray for Suzette. Bring us in. What is happening this spring? Sure. Like every day I my, e my email inbox is perpetually full of people saying like, you know, hey, by the way, I'm performing a self-made, uh, like a self-written play in the Lloyd Center at the old Victoria's Secret. Or uh, 
you know, there's there's like new gallery space that for the past two years has existed as like retail residencies and they're doing glamour shots at the mall. And so, or it's just, there's so much weird, interesting art happening. And I think that people overlook that all the time because it's really easy to focus on Portland's more like scary or annoying or cumbersome aspects, which, you know, certainly I wonder if that much has even changed. Um, I think it you know, to a certain extent, it has certainly since the pandemic, but there's just a whole lot of weird pearl clutching going on. And, and I, yeah, people are, they say they want to read about art. They say they want to read about like things that are enriching, but at the same time, it, it's just such a, the human impulse. It's our like natural survival instinct to always pay attention to what's bad. And, and I'm sort of like, well, you know, that's just, that's just the nature of my job is that I'm constantly focused on things that are amazing. So, so I have this theory and I feel like so much of that is like this displaced COVID anxiety, right? Like people hmm. were so anxious about going out for so long and right. now people still feel anxious, but they're just like looking for other things to be anxious about. And, and like Suzette, one of the things I thought was interesting in this article was, um, in one of the the segments about the front porch sessions, you sort of talked about social anxiety and how people are feeling social anxiety and how that is impacting the way that people are feeling about going to live events. Yeah, front porch, porch sessions is really interesting. Uh, Chris Williams, as I talked to him, he's the, the guy who came up with the idea, who created it. It turned out that he had been basically studying ideas of like, like he has a master's in conflict resolution. Um, he and he works with Portland Public Schools. He essentially helped create a program that sort of uh, deals with children that are are struggling in in the Portland Public School system and sort of working with them and their families. Uh, so it's like he's basically spent his entire professional and adult career kind of trying to, uh, I I would say like not even like decrease anxiety but like help people kind of live with it and. Uh, and so it's interesting that front porch sessions, which is like, he's also like an improv comedian on this group, Burke Gravy. And so it's like, he's taken all of this stuff and created just like a storytelling night with a very simple premise. Uh, and it's, you know, that three people get up, they tell stories. And at the end of every story, they ask a question. And then the, the audience breaks out into little conversation groups, which in reality is usually like two or three people. My anxiety is rising already. I can't imagine <laughs> going to a place and then being like, now look to your left, you know, look to your left, look to your right. This is your new group. Turn your circle. I would just be like, and I'm out. Like, no way. I came here for some stories. I did not come here to talk to this person. <laughs> I came here to listen. Yeah, I would compare it to how nobody wants to go to staff meetings, but then when you all show up in the same room, it's actually way easier to figure out problems and you're like, oh, that's cool, and I got to eat a bagel. Uh, I would say that it seems like you won't like it. Everybody in the audience always groans, but then he, you know, he was like, you can, nobody's watching you. Like, you could just go get a drink. Like, you don't have to talk to someone. But, you know, in practice, it was like, I started talking to somebody who it turned out that I actually knew from a party or I talked to this guy who actually thought he had been there for like a weird men's support group, but then uh, and he just didn't even know where he was. It's strange. Like there's a glow from it, like talking to some stranger. It's not, it's often not like the most illuminating conversation. You just create common ground as one often does. But, uh, but it's strange how good it makes people feel. 
Chris Williams said, like, people in that audience were just thirsty for, like, human contact. And I'm sure that's where we are now. Uh, but mm -hmm. I think that to a certain extent, people are always kind of trying to figure out a way. I don't know. It's just it makes people feel good to be to just talk to someone, to have permission to tell someone a little bit about themselves and just open that door a little bit. Um, Suzette, did you go to uh, one of the things that I when, that I read in your article was the sound like scape or sound art um, installation at the Pika building, which is, um, you know, where the Portland the, the Portland Institute of Contemporary Art, uh, they're in their building that they uh, have been situated for a handful of years now in like, I think it's Northeast Portland. Um, how was that? I haven't gone yet, but there's some pretty heavy hitters in the sound art world that uh, have pieces up. Like, tell me about your experience going through it. Sure. Uh, that piece was written by Robert Hamm, who's a great critic. Um, I think that right now there aren't a lot of critics in Portland who will actually critically speak about work. Like, he has just this huge love for sound art. So the piece he wrote is, mm -hmm. like, really informed by, like, uh, just years and years and years of passionate uh yeah, just care for for enjoying sound art. So he like references this old gallery Veriform that used to be downtown. Pika used to be downtown before a few years ago. Uh, they moved to to Northeast Portland. They have like their own building now, which is great. They have like a huge. I want to say like you can fit uh, a few thousand people, maybe three thousand people in that room. It's really big. Um, and they it's also a gorgeous have, room. Yeah, yeah. They also have like an annex that uh, they've got. They've completely darkened um, where you can listen to. Uh, like I would say sound art installations like uh, Liz Harris is a local Pacific Northwest artist uh, people know her from Grouper but she's been performing lately as Nivek um, I would say that like she has a piece where she used sound she did sound recording at the Portland International Raceway um, and then he also like name checked another person uh, who who just like puts you in the center of someone breathing on a long metal staircase. And like just the way I think, you know, Portlanders with their love of like meditation could really understand how, how a piece like that, you can really just go into it. Like it's strange. So much of art and art criticism feels like you're like, okay, it sounds boring, but it's wild. It's so interesting how like, you know, the two different things that we've talked about are just super immersive, you know, the storytelling event that gets people involved in having conversations and then these sound art projects that like kind of consume you. And and, and I think that's so different than um, the way that a lot of people think about art, which is like get a cocktail, go to a show, check it out, chit chat with your friends. I mean, I think it's interesting mm -hmm. that you are choosing these things that really like kind of take over the viewer. And I'm wondering if that was intentional. Mm -hmm. They ask more of you than just like to consume it. Like you have to be part of it, which is uh, possibly something that a therapist would say would help with anxiety is <laughs> <laughs> to stop, uh, <laughs> well, you go know, outside yourself maybe. <laughs> yeah. uh, anxiety, I come by it honestly. Uh, that's what my aunt always says. Um, <laughs> I've heard of it. <laughs> uh, I think that these installations are sort of you can just stop that like constant uh, ticker tape in your head that is sort of like the downtown's gotten so bad. What's going on with the city council? Wait, people can't have tents anymore. Um, but certainly when it takes you outside of yourself, it helps us maybe, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know that I'm necessarily choosing those things as much as I think that 
a lot of art is that way and we maybe don't realize it. Yeah. Um, I want to say one last thing and then I'm going to move on because I want to, I want to, I have, I feel like I have a connection between this and the other headline that you wrote under the other story that you wrote. Um, but I feel like what we're saying basically is uh, you can't really empathize with someone else when you're anxious and scared because you're so worried about your own everything. Mm -hmm. uh, but I feel like when you're able to give yourself those breaks, then that's when empathy comes through. And that's what we need more than ever uh, in Portland is empathy. I don't think I've ever smiled this much during a news roundup. <laughs> I feel like we're usually you talking about your... what's awful. So thank you for well, writing. It's true. Susan. I mean, you know, you. I'm not, I'm not selling people precious moments figurines. Like this is not, you know, like I, I'm not trying to say that everything is roses. I'm just saying, Wait, what would your precious moment figuring look like? Like, would would it be the would it be like the the puppy biting your butt, or would it be <laughs> you getting some water from a, a well? Like, what is what is Suzette's uh, precious figuring? Whew, that's a question. I don't know if there's a precious moments figuring of just like trying to find your like trying to find some room in the library just by yourself. Yeah. Okay. Let's take a break here. When we come back, more headlines with Portland Mercury's arts and culture editor, Suzette Smith. All right. Well, we were just talking about how the Portland Institute of Contemporary Art, or PICA, uh, moved. And it was a big deal when that happened. That was like, I don't know, like five, five years ago, five or six years ago. And there was a lot of concern about what was going to change uh, when that happened. But it ended up being so much cooler because their space is huge. They semi-own it, not really, but kind of, you know, um, and they know that they're not going to leave. But something similar is going to happen to like what we consider an institution, which is Doug Fur. And now that music venue and lounge is moving to a new location. And it's been in a, its current space, which is like kind of inside the Jupiter Hotel um, on Burnside. It's been there for like 19 years. Uh, and it's moving over to the old uh, Le Montage space. And for those newcomers, that used to be like a pretty late night joint. And I have a lot of complicated feelings about this because it's not just the so much the location, but what the Doug Fur is right now is it's the best sounding room in town, I think, acoustically, like to play in and to hear music. And how are they going to recreate that sound? You know, yeah, I, I mean, thinking about how big of a deal this is, the headlines came out and I realized it had never occurred to me that the whole thing wasn't the Doug Fur, that it was like inside of the Jupiter Hotel. Like I've always yeah. thought of the Jupiter Hotel as like a part of the Doug Fur as opposed to vice versa. So, yeah, it's a big shift. I mean, yeah, the Doug Fur has been there for so long. Um, I, I'm i not sure I like the sound at the Doug Fur, but I do feel like maybe Mississippi Studios is a little bit better. Um, but that's also like not as big of a room. <laughs> we can agree to this. It has to be full. Yeah. It has to be super full in order for it to sound good. And the Doug Fur, not so much. It really? always just sounds padded and great. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Doug Fur, much revered local venue. Um, I don't like the Doug Fur. I'm just going to come out and say it. I don't like going to shows of the Doug Fur. And this is why. Because the way the Doug Fur is laid out, there's like this little area up front but the internal sort of flow of it is crazy. There's like all these barriers. It's hard to find a comfortable place to stand. The lines of sight are really screwed up. Okay. It is like a really difficult venue to feel comfortable in. And it like mm -hmm. it it is like a pretty big space, but the way it's internally divided means you're always like bumping up against a railing or bumping up against other people. So um, I can see that. Yeah. But I remember when the Doug Fur opened 
like in 2004. Like I would actually come down from Olympia because I was going to college there and and see a show that, you know, that wasn't they weren't coming to Olympia. <laughs> and so I'd come down, see a show at the Duck for and then spend the night at a friend's house. And then we'd like treat ourselves to what then was then very fancy brunch. At the, I don't even know if anyone eats at the Duck Fur anymore. But at one I point, I have never it eaten w- at the Duck Fur. No. <laughs> but at one point, it was like the spot. It was like the 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 first like uh, hint of what what was going to happen to Portland because you guys are, are transplants as well. But like you came maybe a little bit after. Maybe your your thing was Mississippi Records. Like that was your spot. Not to say that it's. I agree with everything you said, John. I think that it's it might be a slightly more a pleasant experience to be in the Mississippi room, but I still think that the duck first sounds better. Well, yeah, first of all, Mississippi studios and Mississippi records are different. Um, and then oh, did I say records? Yeah, you did. She got you, Claudia. Oh, scoops. <laughs> I just I'm at Mississippi want, studios. <laughs> I wouldn't want anyone to get confused. Uh, but at the same yeah, time, yeah, no, thank you for, for calling that out. Um, but yeah, I mean, certainly like the Doug Fur has like not only had music stuff, they also like had comedy shows on their patio. Like, uh, I think that the people that I moved in with when I first moved to Portland, when they moved to Portland, they first spent like at least a couple weeks just like they didn't know where they were going to move. So they just like kind of rented a room at the Doug Fur for two weeks, you know. Uh, or at so, the Jupiter like, Hotel. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. The, the Jupiter not- Hotel. <laughs> okay, thank you. Gotcha back, Susan. No, no, I didn't I mean... want anyone to get confused. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. At first, when I heard about the story, it got broken on, like, this small kind of food blog called Bridgetown Bites, and they had, like, gotten access to the records. Like, honestly, just changing their address uh, is kind of what caused this, you know, brouhaha. In any event, like, uh, that's kind of what caused everything. And so, like, you know, now I know that the Doug Fur team was planning on, t- on telling everybody about this kind of mid-March. So, like, they just were not ready to, to break the news. Like, they, mm. of course, like, I think that it's completely, uh, it's something that is not even news to say that they're going to re- completely rehab the montage space. And, and the same team that brought you, like, the incredible sound at the Doug Fur it's pretty easy to imagine that they're probably going to do that in the montage space. Oh, is that, they, did they confirm that? Um, I don't think that I can confirm it, but certainly you can't imagine them moving there without rehabbing it. It's not like they're just going to move in and be like, well, now this completely abandoned building is going to be a place where everybody comes and watches music. Maybe. It's I, 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 I mean, it is interesting, though, because I haven't been to montage in several years, but I remember it as being a much bigger, more open space. And I'm wondering mm-hmm. if it's going to feel different than the Doug Fur did, which, you know, despite my criticisms of the space, it could be like a really cozy little venue. And I'm wondering if Doug Fur at Le Bistro Montage is going to feel like a totally different room or if they're going to try and recreate the vibe that you had it. Doug for yeah, because now. the other thing is that the Jupiter Hotel is looking for new tenants for that Doug for space. So now, like, you could have two venues. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, uh, we, it's certainly, you know, like, the team isn't ready to talk about it. We have some stuff that we found out through records or, like, just talking to people who work there. Um, but it is still a story that I certainly reported it because I felt like it was beginning to get away from people in like conversation. Like there were just so many rumors out there that I was like, well, I'm just going to tell you what I know. Uh, And I'll continue to do that. 
Yeah, you said it wasn't a story, but to me, I'm just like, no, it is a story because it's such a loved institution. And so people are just like, but why? Why are they moving? And mm-hmm. I feel like we still don't really know. We don't know. We haven't heard why they're moving. Mm-hmm. I mean, you spoke a lot about this and that, but I have not heard why are they moving. Yeah. I mean, I don't have an idea yet why they're moving other yeah. than maybe it's just, you know, a new page. And I think it's kind of a cool, bold move to move into Central East Side with all the stuff that's been happening there. Like with uh, yeah. Salt and Straw saying, like, it's too dangerous to be down here. The Doug Fur is like, well, I'm just moving right in. Yeah, under a bridge. <laughs> just like, well, they're just like, I mean, the thing is that like Bistro Montage you know, had its own vibe. Um, even then, like, it felt a little like, oh, I got to watch my back because it feels really dark underneath there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm looking forward to hopefully, I know it's not going to happen, but I'm just hoping that they bring back some of the like Bistro Montage vibe, like the food. And then when you when you leave and you can't finish your food, they just like give you an enormous amount of like aluminum wrap and make you a swan. Do you remember that? Like yeah. you could just be like, I like to take this. Corn, You're hoping they keep the home. aluminum wrap for every yeah, concert goer. Like, you get a, yeah, they're like, here's some cornbread and you're just like, it's an airplane now. How did you do that? <laughs> yeah. Like the, the montage cart at the Hawthorne asylum still does that. So like whenever I walk around that area, I'll always just find like little aluminum roses places. <laughs> I mean, they don't wrap your food in it anymore. You just get an aluminum rose. Oh, that's nice. And then people leave it on the floor. <sighs> Savages. Well, not everybody appreciates greatness. Oh, that's true. Um, well, I definitely want to uh, follow up with you, Suzette, because I want to know all the whys, hows, and whens, and what's happening with the Doug for um, moving forward. Uh, but, John, I know you have a headline for us, and I really want to hear it. Yes. Uh, I've been looking into House Bill 2426, no. which could change one of Oregon's longest and weirdest and potentially most nonsense traditions, uh-huh. which is the prohibition on pumping our own gas. This is something that some people have been working on for a little while. There was a bill last year trying to make this happen. Um, there's a new bill. It's bipartisan. And the whole idea is that it's going to statewide allow people to choose between pumping their own gas or having an attendant come along and pump their gas the way we're all used to. Uh, two of the people who are sponsoring the bill just wrote an op-ed in The Oregonian talking about the reasons that they think that this should happen. I mean, because Oregon is only one of two states in the country that still has these prohibitions on pumping your own gas. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with it. Okay, first question, John. Yes. I'm so glad you brought this up um, because I feel like this is a very hot topic. A lot of people who move here, of course, statistically come from a a state where they pump their own gas. I remember when I moved up here the first time, like when I actually drove up here um, and I hit the border and I didn't know where I was. And some yokel to me, you know, I'm from East LA, so it looked like straight up like a dude without a shirt and overalls and a beard and like burly hair came and tried to pump my gas and take my credit card without, because of course, like he was just like, you know what's going on. And I really was like, get out. Like, I was just like, get out of here. <laughs> and I was like, oh, and he was so like, no, I have to do this. And I was like, you don't have to do nothing. Like, oh my God. My ga- I, I totally had that experience too of being on a long road trip and sort of just being in like road zone and not realizing you've passed back into Oregon and just sort of zombieing yeah. out of your car and trying to pump your own gas and like. The poor people at like the border gas stations probably have to deal with that all day, every day. And people like me just sort of like 
stumbling over and grabbing for the gas pump and them having to be like, no, no, we're, we're going to take care of I it know. for you. You see how quiet Suzette is? It's because she hasn't had a car in 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I don't really care about any of this. I don't have a car, <laughs> but I still drive sometimes. I actually really enjoy now after, you know, almost fighting um, this six foot two man in, in overalls, I now super enjoy having my gas pumped. Whenever I go somewhere else, I'm just like, oh, animals, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you want me to go out and touch that thing? <laughs> and my sister has said sometimes <laughs> she will drive to Washington State just to pump her own gas. Why? <laughs> she'll be but like, why? I just wanted to do it myself. And she'll just drive across the river and go to Washington to buy Wh gas. I don't understand. Like, what is the control issue that you're... Does she think she could do a better job? Or does she just miss that, that waft of gasoline? I, I, I mean, haven't you had that experience, though, of like... No. Of, of pumping your own gas and being like, this is novel. I haven't done this in a while. You know? I hate it now. The girl that... The girl that I was best friends with when I was young, her grandmother was like some sort of Ukrainian nobility. And I just remember like the thing of her grandmother telling me like, I pump my own gas. Like she was like, I'm a person, I'm a person of the people. Like now I can do it, you know? Like not like, obviously at that time she wouldn't, she would have been a child. She wouldn't have been pumping her own gas. I think it was just something where when she was older, she had to figure out how to do it. And she was like, no, this is incredible. I'm completely self-sufficient now. Uh, John, I, I, I feel kind of embarrassed that I, why, why do we pump our own gas? Like, what is it about Oregon that, like, what, how did this start? Well, the thing that's funny that I didn't know is that, like, pumping your own gas nationwide is, like, a pretty new thing. Like, people across the country didn't really pump their own gas until, like, the 1980s uh, on a wide scale. Like, there was a lot of states that used to have prohibition. I think it's because they thought people couldn't. They, they're like, mm, the everyday person will just burn the whole place down. We need attendance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, they thought it wasn't safe. And like in Oregon, it's just been like one of those third rail issues where nobody's wanted to like try and change it. Um, some of the arguments are because of safety. Uh, people are so have argued because of jobs. They're like, well, that's what I thought. I thought know. it was jobs. Yeah. I thought it was like, well, all these people have jobs. If you don't do this, they're not going to have jobs. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's the politics yeah. of it. It's like, oh, you want to take away the jobs from all our good, hardworking gas station attendants? Um, I mean, but I mean, I think the people right now are arguing the opposite of like, look, we've been having this real shortage of workers and the gas stations are having a hard time um, finding people, finding people to do it. Yeah. Although like you're sort of like, is the gas station attendant job like something that we really need to like enshrine and make sure that those jobs are still available for people when maybe we could just do something else? Like, well, maybe pay them better and treat them well. I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like, sometimes I feel like that's just such a, everybody's so upset. They're like, I can't find employees. And you're like, you know what that means. You're going to have to pay people more. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I do like gas station attendants in general. I find them to be lovely people, just super generally. Like, I always have good conversations with them. Um, because I don't have a car, so I'm just standing around, apparently. Uh yeah. I think you're right, Suzette. I do feel like my like neighborhood gas station attendant is on par with like my neighborhood grocer as like, oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, they yeah. get to know you. They know my yeah. dog. They're ready with the treat. They know what's going on. I mean, it's just a human. It's a human connection that you've made and one that's going to go away if you start pumping your own gas. I feel like this was up last year, right? And like it got kicked out for some like It comes up a lot. Like I, I should say that there have been a couple different 
like, you know, Oregon has been relaxing the rules on this. In rural areas in 2018, uh, they said that you can have the choice of pumping your own gas. So at this point, through most of eastern Oregon, you can pump your own gas. Oh. And they did relax the rules entirely during early COVID. Um, during yeah. early COVID, you were able to pump your own gas too. So um, it's not completely out of the blue. There's sort of been inching towards this uh, in a couple different ways. I feel like last year at the last minute, they were like, we just need, we need like more file fire marshal money if we're going to make this happen. And I was just like, boy, I don't understand that at all. But maybe in case people set themselves on fire. Yeah. Well, I don't well, understand. Well, that, that is the concern. I mean, the way that the, <laughs> well, the, 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 the law blowing. is written is it's not gasoline. It's like class one flammable liquids, which. Like, oh, gosh. You know, Everyone can... else seems to be fine in the in the country. But here's the deal. I don't want to pump my own gas. I am now pampered. And the thought of it really bums me out. But the only plus for me is that Washington, Washington will not have one on us. And let me explain. When you go to a Timbers or a Sounders match, any any match here where C you're playing Seattle, the fans will come through and they got nothing on us. We're freaking awesome. But here's the one thing they do have on us is that they have this sign that really does cut and it just says real men pump their own gas. And really, that is all they have. And I'm just like, oh, so good. <laughs> <laughs> Such a good burn. We don't pump our own gas. They're right. Are we real men? I don't know. That's debatable. But like... Claudia, Solid. you should become a politician and your whole platform should be, will this piss off Washington? And you should just, <laughs> every every law you pass, that should be like your number one criteria. I really feel like that's the only plus on this law is like, what are they going to say now? Oh no, you're winning. <laughs> well, well, Claudia, I think the way the law is written is that you will now have a choice. So you can, oh, still, that's gonna be get your, you can still be your fancy pampered self. I'm sorry. We can't even figure out a four-way stop. Now we're going to be like, no, no, you pump my gas. No, no, I'll pump my gas. No, you can pump my No, no, we are you going to pump my gas? No, let me just pump all of our gases. I'm just going to become the attendant now. I'm such a nice guy. <laughs> like, I think that's what's going to happen in Portland. Sorry I'm late. Got stuck at the gas station. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No one knew what to do, and I just wanted to help. That's all for today here on CityCast Portland. For even more local news and events, sign up for our daily newsletter, Hey Portland. We'll throw a link in our show notes. Our lead producer is John Atariani. Our audio producer is Julia Fiaioni. Our newsletter editor is Rachel Monahan, And our host is me, Claudia Meza. Original music by Jenny Conley and Steven Drizos. Additional music by Epidemic Sound. We'll be back in a few days with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's. <laughs>